It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Crowder trying to get him out of space, slopes a tackle, and there he goes! Crowder! It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there! A 69-yard touchdown. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen. Thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And we're going to review the performance of Zach Wilson in the opening game against the Carolina Panthers with somebody who has a vested interest in Sam Darnold not performing up to task, mostly because Sam Darnold's backup, P.J. Walker, is one of his guys. He is the quarterback whisperer of Colorado, Mr. Tim Jenkins. Tim Welcome back to the show. What's going on, sir? You got to be happy. The Broncos are one and zero. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm happy. I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like I've got a rooting interest right now in the Broncos and the Jets. So I feel, I'm, I feel like I'm one and one after the first weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, one and one in terms of wins and losses, but as far as Zach Wilson's performance, I thought he actually was pretty good for the most part. Now let's address the elephant in the room here, Tim, and I wanted to get your insight on this. You watched this game, you looked at everything, you saw the film. The offensive line, at least as far as I could tell, was about as bad as you could be. Zach Wilson was under heavy duress, he was getting knocked around, and we'll get to his actual individual performance in a bit, but first, give me some insight on what it's like to be a rookie starting his first game in the NFL and having to deal with that. What kind of effect is that going to have on a quarterback? And then I want to get to what we saw from Wilson on the field after that. But it seemed to me that it would be very easy to rattle somebody who's not up to the challenge and not extremely mentally strong in that type of situation. Yeah, so I think, you know, something I put down was obviously the protection was less than ideal. Something I, I made a note of was for me it was kind of, and this is where it'd be really good for somebody to be able to ask, you know, the offensive coordinator ask Zach, but it, it almost felt like, you know, they turned two pressures free coming from the right side. And it almost looked like the right tackle didn't even, and the guy was walked up on the line of scrimmage. So it wasn't like a disguise situation. So it almost looked like the right tackle had his eyes inside and stepped inside. So I almost wonder, is that supposed to be thrown hot? Right. There were two situations where it's like, man, it's confusing for me as to whether or not this is a miscommunication from the line, a busted assignment. We call them MAs, right? A missed assignment from the right tackle. Or does Zach need to have his eyes looking through that Sam pressure and because he's supposed to throw hot? So that was one of the things that I noted, or, you know, I saw two of them on tape. With that being said, there were plenty of other physical layers, right? Just, hey, uh, this guy got beat um, or, hey, this guy got pushed into Zach's lap, which obviously is just less than ideal. When you're a rookie, right, there's so, you know, I can only imagine being Zach where there's so much to 
diagnose pre-snap from a coverage perspective. Now you compound that with the fact that, hey, I also have these guys getting pushed right back into my lap. You know, that's a really tough thing to deal with. You know, I put in my notes that I thought he competed his tail off because I really mm. do think he was battling as much as he could in the pocket and, and, and doing everything he could there. So I, you know, from the competition standpoint, I felt like he really competed hard. I do think the line had some physical errors, and I also think it was compounded with, you know, anytime you have – I would assume that they put a lot on the center this week in terms of mic points and, and trying to set the protection. And that's one thing with the rookies is anytime it's not going necessarily through the quarterback, right, in terms of protection changes and everything, or maybe the quarterback's not fully versed in that area, that then tends to lead to some of those free runners off the edge. I mean, we saw it with Justin Fields in Chicago in the preseason, right? So I think um, that's something that I, I definitely think they'll get in the film room and they'll study and they'll look at, and I think Zach will get that corrected this week. Let's talk about how he did under duress because throughout the game, he had to deal with constant pressure. We saw it in the first half, and in the second half, it seemed like he adjusted a little bit, and I want to get to that, but first... Talk to me about the early going. I know you said that you thought he competed his tail off. I certainly agree with that. But what did you see from him in terms of being able to operate under duress? Yeah, I thought he was doing a great job. He was getting out of there. He's creating plays. I, you know, I, I honestly think the Jets receiving core more or less let him down a little bit in that first half because I think, listen, you know, anytime you've got a young guy back there, you want to go and make – got to go make some plays. There was a deep ball that I thought, you know, you could compete and catch. There was a scramble drill that I think the guy gets one hand on, but if he locates the ball a little earlier, I think he adjusts, and that could be a big play. Like, listen, part of the reason quarterbacks in this league are great are because guys around them make plays. You know, let's, let's not pretend like Patrick Mahomes isn't – getting bailed out in certain situations. Let's not pretend like we didn't see 12, you know, on Thursday night get bailed out a couple of times by his receivers making incredible catches. So to me, it's, it's one of those things that I do think those receivers, you know, I don't want to say let them down because they did make some, they made some contested catches, but I do think, you know, even if you just get half of the, the, the ones that I think are reasonable to ask of somebody who's making millions of dollars to catch a football, right? <laughs> I think even if you just get half of them, you're probably looking at a completely different game the way, it, the way it ends up shaking out. So to me, I think the way he was creating under duress was, was fantastic. I, I, I don't want this to come – you know, I say this a little tongue-in-cheek. I, I almost kind of prefer it right now. Because I think that he – the one interception he threw was a pretty egregious error, and it was a pretty clean pocket. You almost prefer him running around a little bit and having to create and play off of instincts early on while he's still figuring out what the heck's going on out there. Mm -hmm. Because I do think he is so good at creating. You know, I was on a Broncos podcast today, and they have the Jaguars and then the Jets coming up. And they were asking me, they said, hey, which rookie do you think presents more problems? And to me, the – the easy answer is Zach Wilson, because I think Zach, you know, where his O-line struggles, I actually think Zach ends up making some plays because of it, right? One of the touchdowns was on, you know, after play creation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of stuff that Zach can do under pressure. So I do think 
you know, obviously in a perfect world, we want our quarterback upright, right? You don't want him having to run around. But I do think Zach Wilson is one of those guys that more or less like Russell Wilson is not the worst thing in the world when he is out there creating because he is so good at it. So I think it's one thing that's kind of the saving grace for the Jets this year is that, hey, while we don't love free runners at our quarterback, luckily for us, we've got a kid back there who can create and honestly is sometimes better when he's in creation mode. So I do think it's one of those things that, you know, obviously everybody wants to get figured out because you don't want, (laughs) you know, you don't want to see him on his back or, or the pocket collapsing around him. But I do think um, right now with where he's at, it's not the worst thing in the world because I do think he's just got those natural instincts to go make a play. What'd you see in the second half that you didn't see in the first half? The second half, I think honestly, the play calling was a little bit better. So Mm -hmm. the first half I saw, you know, the very first throw of the game, just that stick concept to the boundary, we would call it sticky, you know, like sticky F arrow or sticky Y arrow, depending on who they have tagged. But, you know, he just takes the arrow route and it's super easy to the boundary and it's eight yards. And that's exactly what you want from a drive starter for your quarterback, right? The, the, <laughs> you know, football is not all about driving the ball down the field. Sometimes we want to get these guys in rhythm. And I think those are the kind of plays that can get him in rhythm. And I think in the second half, we saw a heck of a lot more of what we would call like an Oki concept where the outside guys on a speed out and the slot guys on a stick. We saw a ton of Oki. We saw a ton of stick arrow. We saw some dragon, which is slant with an arrow. So I think when you get into that quick game, it kind of gets Zach in a rhythm. And honestly, it slows down that pass rush. And then all of a sudden you can get into play action. You can get into those downfield, those shot plays. And now Zach can either let it turn or he can go ahead and get out of the pocket and create something. So to me, I thought the play calling was way better in the second half. And I thought Zach's willingness to go ahead and just take, hey, the stick is here or, you know, the opal route, which is it's what we call an option route. So, you know, hey, the opal's here. Let me take that. Okay, okay, that's taken. Let me reset and hit the hank. There was a lot of stuff that I thought he did in the second half. But honestly, I thought it was set up because the calls that I think skewed a little bit better that way versus some of the stuff they were trying to run in the first half. Since you brought up the play calling, a lot of people were not satisfied with what Mike LaFleur was doing. Would you share that sentiment or do you think that, as you said, it got better in the second half and maybe he doesn't deserve as much slack as he's getting? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, you're, you're going to give him grief, but the truth of the matter is, is uh, his play calling got better. So to me, I always care. So here's the thing that when you're evaluating a play caller, so this is such a nuanced question, right? When you're evaluating a play caller, what you evaluate him on in the first half is, does it make sense? Hey, does what they have scripted up make sense to attack this defense based on what you've seen on film? The answer is yes. They had a bunch of single high and man beaters. They just were, you know, they were getting beat up front, right? So to me, it's like, okay, so the plays he was calling in the first half makes sense. It's one of those situations where, hey, the X's and O's checked out, but guess what? The Jimmys and Joes were getting beat, right? That's that's what happened in the first half. Then he goes in, makes halftime adjustment, comes out, and they have a bunch of single high quick game beaters, which is electric, right? They start moving the ball. So to me, I think, if anything, I'd be giving him a ton of credit, right? I, I think fans too often we say, offense isn't moving the ball, this coordinator sucks. That's not true. A coordinator is either good or bad based on are these like do these con do these con do the concepts that they're running match up with the defense you're going against? And if the concepts match up, 
then the, then the coordinator is doing a great job. Now, if we're getting beat up front, you want to see the adjustment made at halftime like he made where you go from the downfield and the shot plays to more of the quick game. But to me, I think he did a great job. So I think any, you know, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to sound too harsh, but I do think, you know, we've got to disassociate the fact of, okay, they're, they're not moving the ball with the coordinators doing a good job, right? Like this mm-hmm. is <laughs> doing that kind of reasoning is what got Adam Gaze a bunch of jobs, right? <laughs> well, I saw him with Peyton Manning and the offense was moving the ball. Well, what was he, was he coming up with good concepts based on the defense or did he have Peyton Manning, right? There's a difference between mm-hmm. how the, you know, how the O or D is doing and do the concepts make sense when you're in terms of grading these coordinators out. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I want to ask you about the decision-making, Tim, because that was one thing that you spoke about a lot in the preseason games. You loved his decision-making. Overall, what did you think? I know he threw the interception, and he took responsibility for that. And actually, I'd love you to talk about that as well because that would go into the negative category. But overall, were you pleased with his decision-making? I think his decision-making obviously was kind of what we expected and what we talked about two weeks ago of, you know, there's going to be a lot more bad in the regular season than, than in the preseason because things are disguised. I mean, listen, the interception was really bad, right? Mm-hmm. He either needs to throw the play side sit or he needs to get off the mag and then get to the Oki return or he needs to get to the swing. Like the, the mag is the route he tried to throw. It's about the only one not eligible on that play right in terms of the coverage look they had. So that's just bad, and I'm sure that's why he owned it. The The only thing that I would say, I, I, I kind of – it's one of those things that you have to coach accordingly, right, is, is when I start creating, when I start scrambling, do I it's, – it's really called, right, smart shot taking, right? Am I being smart, like, hey, I've extended the play, and then is this a smart one to throw, like a smart chance to take? You know, he throws the interception, then he comes right back out and gets in a scramble drill, and he almost throws another one, right? On the number seven, almost cuts in front of that guy working to the sideline. So to me, it's like, I, I think his decision-making as a whole was tremendous. I do think there are things that they're going to need to coach, and they're going to need to figure each other out and say, okay, hey, are we, do we like to take this shot here in this situation? Okay, yes or no, and then move on. But you've got to coach it accordingly because you don't want this kid all of a sudden back there gun shy because that's what makes him great. So you want to make sure to be reinforcing, hey, we want you to go out there and make plays, but simultaneously trying to make sure it's crafted in the way that you guys believe is going to be best to win football games with the organization. I believe that Zach Wilson outperformed the box score. I think if you look at it, you'll see the completion percentage, and you might say, oh, that's not so good. Although he did throw for 258 yards and two touchdowns, we talked about the bad interception. But I thought Leger Duzabal, former New York Jet and current analyst, brought up a really good point, and I was curious what you thought about this. He said, one thing worth mentioning, he had three pivotal drops by receivers. Elijah Moore had rookie jitters, dropped the 50-yard-plus explosive gain, which could have changed the game. Also an eight-yard crossing route, and Davis dropped a 10- to 12-yard out. Wilson easily could have thrown for over 300 yards and had his completion percentage significantly higher. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, I, I would tell you that I don't really – not that I disagree with him. I, I don't really care – about the box score to me Mm -hmm. i think he outperformed you know maybe what people are saying stats wise 
just the fourth and critical that they faced on that mm-hmm. last drive mm-hmm. where he backpedals to keep it alive against zero and throws the crosser, that to me is all I would need to see to, to know that this kid outperformed the box score, right? I think I, I just think there were certain situations in which he came up really big. There were also third downs that, hey, we missed this throw. Like there's a third and, you know, there was a third and two. I, I want to say, you know, like drive number six or seven in the second half. Yes, in the second half, they're working. Anyways, where he misses the speed out and he's reading the wrong side of the field, but those are correctable. So to me, I think he definitely outperformed whatever his stat line was because, yeah, there were drops and everything else. But to me, I'm more concerned with situationally, what did he do? And I thought he did a dang good job situationally. Tim, let's go over the good and the bad overall because we hit on some of the high points and some of the low points. What are some of the high points that you saw that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, I just think the easy stuff, right? Like when he was reading out stick and dragon and all that stuff, I just thought he did a heck of a job. He took what the defense gave him, which is easier said than done as a rookie when you're out there trying to make plays, especially when you know you're going against the guy that you replaced, right? You want to beat him. I thought he did a great job navigating the pocket by and large. And then I think when you're looking at some of the bad, you got to, you know, that first drive out of halftime was concerning to me because he was really floating back in the pocket and really bailing out on some of his throws. So when I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, holy mackerel, right? Like, did we already get gun shy from the first half? But then he comes right back and steps up in the pocket on the next drive and navigates a couple of times. So then all of a sudden that fear is gone, right? But with rookies, you really got to think about that. Okay, are we all of a sudden gun shy now? You know, what got said in the – at halftime, like what the hell's going on in his head, right? So he came out, and I thought he did a heck of a better. I thought he did a lot better job after the first drive of the of the second half. So to me, that was where the bad was. Obviously, where he touched on the interception, and then ultimately, whatever whoever's fault it was in the protection checks, whether he sets the mic and it was wrong, the center did a bad job, whatever it was, that's something that is very real it's very eligible to be his fault. Now we would never know unless we're in those meeting rooms. Cause we don't know how they block certain fronts, but it's very eligible to be his fault. Those free runners. So if those were his fault, then obviously we want to get those corrected from a Mike point standpoint or, or protection check. So I think those are things that, you know, would also fall into the bad if it turns out that it was on him and not a missed assignment up front. Anything else you think he needs to work on in week number two? I, I mean, there's a couple things from a quarterback standpoint that I would nitpick regarding his feet, but I think, you know, I, I think they they coach it a certain way that I don't want to say that I full-on disagree with because I think everyone has the way they would prefer their system. I just think that sometimes when you play with your right foot back and the gun is a young quarterback, it tends to lead to more floating back in the pocket. Um, and I think that it was hard to tell on the copy that I was watching whether or not that two-point play got tipped. To me, it kind of looked like the two-point play didn't get tipped. But I also, you know, I, I then went back and watched the broadcast, and the broadcast said it got tipped, so it's kind of hard to tell. But to me, I almost thought that he, the way they do their punch flip when they're doing quick game in the gun – I almost felt like he landed a little inside, and I think that that would be correctable by flipping your feet and just doing a one skip. You're going to play more in rhythm. Um, but again, that's more like, hey, you know, that's kind of a, a preference, right, when you're playing quarterback is 
is what you and your coordinator decide to do. But that was one of my worries was, hey, you know, is this going to lead to some of these kind of balls that dive on him? Because if that ball didn't get tipped, I'd be willing to bet that he would tell you, yeah, it felt like it fell off my pinky a little bit. You usually get that when your base is too far inside. And sometimes when you're playing with that right foot back and you turn into more of a punch hop than a true skip, the ball's going to die on you. Tim, I wanted to ask you about Corey Davis because it sure felt like Davis became the safety valve for Zach Wilson. We had assumed it could very well be Elijah Moore because of the chemistry that they had developed But Corey Davis caught the two touchdown passes. He had a really nice day, almost 100 yards receiving. If he had caught that one that we talked about earlier that he dropped, he would have had over 100 yards. Tell me a little bit about what you saw with that connection because I think we're going to see a lot more of it as the season wears on. I thought he was a superstar, man. I thought he was competing his tail (laughs) off too. I think, you know, the speed out that he catches at the very end for a touchdown – I mean, I, I just thought the I thought he battled, and I think he's definitely the guy that Zach felt comfortable. Hey, you know when it's you know when it's cutting time, right? And I got to figure this thing out. And this is the guy I'm going to, and I and I think he rightfully earned that. I think there's a couple, um, you know, he, he'd love the drop back, but I do think he's a guy that that stepped up and made a play for him. I think as a, a as a unit, that receiver group maybe needs to step up a little bit more, but I think him specifically, I think he did his job. One thing that we thought the Jets were going to do in week one against the Panthers was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and try and use that to establish the pass and take some of the pressure off of Zach Wilson's shoulders. They tried to do that, and it didn't work out. Tell me about how this game might have gone different if the Jets were able to successfully run the ball, because obviously we discussed how Zach Wilson was under duress and how he had to make all of these crazy plays on the run and out of structure. That might not have been the case if things had gone according to script. How much different could it be if the Jets are able to establish the run against the Patriots this week? I mean, it's definitely going to be different. The problem they're going to run into is that the way they left that unblocked defender in those kind of more or less hybrid, it was more of a hybrid odd look instead of an even look. And the way they left that guy unblocked, Bill Belichick's going to have, to me, I guarantee, I, I would be willing to bet that the Patriots come out in there and they come up because they come out in a five down front or they come in a three down front, walk up same will and they get into bear because I think they think they can't, they, you know, you guys can't protect it. So I think that's what's really going to happen is they're going to come up and bear. They're going to play man behind it, which unfortunately is going to lead to another day of not really being able to run the football. And then, you know, Zach under duress, unless they problem solve the protection at the line. Now, if they problem solve the protection at the line and hit, you know, a slot fade or they hit something deep early, well, then you can get Bill to back off. But I'm going to tell you right now that if I'm watching that tape, the number one thing I'm doing is making Zach Wilson or the center or whoever is in charge of the mic point and all the operational stuff, I'm making, I'm going to make them problem solve a bunch of pressures before I'm going to then back off and play coverage. So to me, unfortunately what they're seeing on tape right now against the Panthers is going to lead to more and more situations where people are going to heat them up, walk up in Bayer, walk up backers and make you account for them. And then obviously they'll bail in certain situations and try to do some trap coverage stuff underneath to him when he tries to throw hot. But, you know, listen, it it was one of those things where those, you know, the two or three times they left that guy unblocked, honestly, is, is kind of, 
it's detrimental for the next few weeks because when D coordinators see that, they're going to try to mimic it. And it's not going to uh, it's not going to lead to any easier things in the run game or protection game. Now, like I said, they're only one or two times solving it away from backing people up. Uh, but it is one of those things that they're going to have to prove that they can do it before anyone's going to go back to playing coverage against them. That sound you just heard was the sound of a bucket of cold water being dumped on me by Tim. So thank you for that, Tim. Really appreciate it. I was looking forward to this matchup, and now I'm mildly terrified for it. Before I let you run, talk to me about your grade for this game. What did you give Zach Wilson? Yeah, listen, I thought he, you know, to me, he would have, you know, I didn't give him an official one, but he would have graded out in the, you know, mid-70s, low-80s. I thought it was a good first outing. I think in the grand scheme of things, when you look at all the rookies, I think he did a pretty darn good job. I think I would, you know, based on what people are saying, I think Mac Jones probably edged him out barely. Um, but I do think Zach did a good job, and I think Trevor probably was was behind him. So I, I don't think it was a game that anyone should be sad about what Zach did. I think Zach showed everything that he that deserved to be the number two overall pick. He competed his butt off. He made a ton of plays outside of structure and I think he's gonna have to keep doing that for the Jets to have a good year this year but I'm telling you I think the future is bright for this kid Tim Jenkins the quarterback whisperer of Colorado thank you so much for coming on and breaking down Zach Wilson's week one performance with me really appreciate it before you go tell everybody how they can find you your YouTube channel your social media all of that yeah I've got a YouTube channel where we do all the breakdowns it's called all things QB and then just on Twitter at T Jenkins Elite, and you can send me whatever questions you want, and I'll do my best to answer them. Make sure you're following Tim on Twitter at T Jenkins Elite, and check out his channel, All Things QB, on YouTube. And make sure that you check out our channel on YouTube, the Play Like a Jet channel. Luke Grant has been doing some phenomenal work over there, including a film breakdown of Zach Wilson that goes nicely with what you heard from Tim today. And, of course, we've got great stuff up at playlikeajet.com, including one by Will Greenan, who wrote about the mystery of why Denzel Mims seems to be persona non grata in some ways with this coaching staff. So check out our YouTube channel, subscribe if you haven't already, and visit playlikeajet.com. And give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.